Oregon football has got a lot of depth on the defensive line, and they've got to be a lot better if Oregon's going to win the Pac-12 in 2023. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. If you haven't already, please like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show. So let's talk about the defensive line. Got a lot of bodies in there. Got a lot of depth in that particular room. And that's a good thing because defensive line, I think more than probably any position on the field on either side, you rotate guys in and out more, maybe running back, maybe, maybe, especially with the way Oregon's running backs carried the ball last year, you can make that case, but you're rotating defensive linemen in and out a lot, like a lot, a lot. So, and by the way, there were four edge players who had 200 or more defensive snaps a season ago, and there were four defensive tackles, interior players, who had 200 plus snaps a season ago. So you're talking about eight guys that are going to play at least semi-consistent, meaningful snaps for Oregon. Now, who could those guys be this year? Jordan Birch, of course, Brandon Dorless, Jake Shipley, Sir Mels, Trevin Maai, Ben Roberts, Taki Taimani, Tavita Pamee, Josh Simmons, Johnny Bowens, Michael Gardner, Casey Rogers, Popo Almavai, he's back, Keon Ware-Hudson, Mateo, Anthony Jones, Mace Funa, Amarian Winston, Tatum Tuioti, Jaden Moore, and Malachi Hanna. They're losing Jordan Riley and DJ Johnson. So you've got one consistent edge player and one consistent interior defensive lineman whose production you have to replace from last year. And it's vital that Oregon is able to do that in a successful way because if they don't, it's hard to see how they could win the Pac-12 this year. When you look at the volume of high-level quarterbacks, high-level offenses, you live in an offensive age of football, if you can't disrupt the other team's quarterback in key situations, hard to see how you're going to make it. It it really, really is. So, and, and just think about the teams that Oregon's won a Pac-12 championship with. The last time they did it was 2019. Who was on that defensive line? Kayvon Thibodeau. Ducks allowed no points in that first half to a good Utah team. That was 11-1. and And who was dominating the game? Kayvon Thibodeau. And the time they won it before that with Mariota and everybody. Who was on that defensive line? DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead. Go back to the other two times. There were good players on the defensive line. They were more offensively driven, of course. But you, you've just got to be able to generate pressure consistently. And they were historically bad at doing that a season ago. Your eyes did not deceive you. Their pressure rate, their sack numbers, they were something like 20-year lows, one of the lowest marks in the history of the program. And now you've got a lot of different bodies in there who have got to be able to be more productive. Now, do they have a lot of names in there? Yes. Do they have a good amount of talent in there? Yes, I think so. Do they have sufficient depth? Yeah, I think so as well. I would love I would love to feel better about the second edge position, but I think when you look at what this position group has going into spring football, there is enough depth to get the sort of production that you need. And Popo coming back is a big part of that. You know, Jordan Riley, 
had some solid moments last year, but wasn't really that much of an impact player. He was a big body, but PFF didn't grade him very well. I can't think of a big impact play he did make. You know, I thought Casey Rogers was was better. I'm glad Casey Rogers is is back. PFF agreed with that, by the way. So I, I think that you've got some guys who have made plays in there before who are capable of doing so again, but some guys need to get better. Some guys need to dramatically get better or just be someone that that we don't know uh, about right now, which I'll, which I'll talk about, most notably Mateo in uh, that particular group. So if you're looking at four edge players and you're looking at four defensive tackles who are going to be playing regular snaps this year, you got a top two and you got a next two. So prediction time. With the way things stand going into spring, I think your top two defensive tackles, I think Brandon Dorless is pretty clearly number one. Now, number two, I I, I thought about this. I, I really thought about it. I went back and forth. I bet you guys will have differing opinions here. But I think the number two defensive tackle will be Casey Rogers, a guy who Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy and uh, Coach Tuioti brought in last offseason as a transfer, played a lot. And I think he's earned the right to be one of those starting defensive tackles. And then I think your top two reserves on the interior are Popo Almavai and, uh, and and Taki Taimani. So the, the the Popo thing is 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 what's throwing me for a loop there because at his peak, 2021, first team All Pac-12 guy, really really good, decent pass rusher, elite run stuffer. You take those sorts of guys. That's what defensive tackles are there to do. You, you'd like to get some pressure up the middle. Sure, that's more Dorless's department. But defensive tackles, you need to swallow up double teams in the run game, get into the backfield, and cause havoc up the middle. The question I have with Popo is not whether or not he's a good player. I just don't know what he is coming off the injury. This could be very easily one of my predictions that changes the most after the spring game, which is April 29th. We're coming up on that, by the way. We're like uh, just outside of two weeks away, which is pretty exciting because there's so many different things to look for. But if Popo plays in that game and looks healthy, I think at his peak, he is better than Casey Rogers. I don't think he's, well, he's at the very least the same as Dorless. I think Dorless is probably more well-rounded and you know has a, a greater propensity to make impact plays in, in the running game and the passing game. Popo's a little bit more run-oriented, but... I think those are the two most talented defensive tackles, but I just don't know coming off the injury, right? I think back to Justin Flo. He was really, really good in that one game in 2021, but then he got hurt. And did he ever look the same? To me, he did not. And, and that just happens with some guys. You know, some players are able to recover from a certain injury and get back to their, their peak physical state, and some guys just aren't. So we don't know with Popo right now. That's why right now, at this moment in time, I would say he is one of the top two reserves. Still going to be someone who plays a good amount because, you know, of, of his talent. But I think that's a guy who uh I, I think that's a guy who ends up being, you know, a regular rotation player, but just just don't know. Would love for him. I mean, if he wants to get back to 2021 form, if he's fully healthy, if he's a full go, awesome. That would be great. But I just can't make that prediction at this point in time. So 
Dorless and Rogers with Taimani and uh, Almavai in uh, reserve there. And then you got a bunch of freshmen who, who are going to get to learn from some really, really good experienced football players. You know, guys like Johnny Bowens, Michael Gardner, Amari Washington will be here in uh, the fall. So will Blake Purchase. That's a guy who is coming in on the defensive line. He's an edge prospect, but won't be here uh, for, for spring football. I don't believe he's not listed on uh, the roster. Keon Ware Hudson is another name of the defensive tackle slot. I could see him getting pushed down. I, I think Popo's return could be Keon Ware Hudson seeing the field less this year, but maybe he maybe he makes strides. You know, he he did some nice things last year, had some really, really good moments. Don't feel like he was consistently there enough to garner a starting spot, but uh you never know. Now, the edge players are arguably more important. They're arguably, I actually think they are more important because those are the guys you need to get after the quarterback. And when you need a snack that's healthy and delicious, you got to go check out Built Bars because they don't have all the sugar and calories either. They're just amazing. They're the best tasting protein bar ever. Just go check them out. They're covered in 100% real chocolate, real chocolate. It's delicious. They've got a bunch of great flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream. I'm a mint brownie guy myself. You can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can get your specialty flavors still at built.com. If you're close to Sam's Club, run in, grab a 13-bar box and our hit flavors, brownie batter puff and churro puff. They're a chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate, still low in sugar, high in protein. Go get your next order of Built Bars today. You won't regret it. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, let's get to the edge players. So a lot of different ways this could go. This could be one that kind of evolves as the season goes along. You know, like when Oregon plays its first game in the year against Portland State on September 2nd, the top edge players could shape out one way and then by the time they play oregon state in the game formerly known as the civil war on november whatever it is it could be different so i think right now one of your edges is clearly going to be jordan birch i don't think anyone's going to argue that i don't think that's going to change it's the other spot where i have a few more questions so mace funa played really well holiday bowl mvp played exceptionally well in that game but he and keith brown are both kind of in the same stage going into spring football. Was that just one game? Or are you guys really starting to realize your full potential? Because they were both so, so good defensively for Oregon in that one. So I think Mace Funa will have the edge. He'll be a fifth-year senior. He's you know been in the weight room a lot longer, but Mateo's not exactly small. He's a guy who is going to play meaningful snaps this year. Could he beat out a fifth-year senior? Boy, if he does, that'd be a great sign for the Ducks. Because then a guy who started all of last year and really the last couple seasons is now in a reserve role and you've got a true freshman who's able to beat him out because of, of his overall physical prowess and just uh, ability as as a defensive lineman. So that, that, that would be awesome if he pops, right? It's like 
when Darren Thomas transferred. Well, why would he do that? Uh, because the guy behind him is just better. Like that would be that would be awesome. But I think right now, top two edge prospects for me, Mace Funa and Jordan Birch. I think Mateo Uyungle is your top edge reserve. I, I really don't have a great sense of who the next one could be. I, I'd be surprised if it's two true freshmen. That'd be a lot of true freshmen playing at a position that typically takes a year or two for guys to fully develop and you know start to make an impact. There are exceptions, of course. Kayvon Thibodeau, we hope Mateo will be. Not that I don't think Tatum Tuioti or Blake Purchase or Jaden Moore couldn't be good players one day. I just don't know if they're the guys who, who can come in and do that right away. So I think Mateo is your top reserve edge after that. Here's what I wonder. Here's what I legit. Th- th- this is what I actually think. The defensive line could be in a place where your number two edge player, so to speak, at either slot is Brandon Dorless, who played a decent amount of edge last year. And you have so many bodies that are at the very least capable and serviceable at defensive tackle, whether you talk about Taki Taimani, Keon Ware Hudson in there, maybe one of the freshmen are ready to contribute right away you could slide Dorless to the edge spot. So I think those are going to be your top four edge players. Mace Funa, Jordan Birch, Mateo Uyungle, probably Brandon Dorless, who played a good amount of defensive end last year. I don't think it's his most natural spot because he's not super quick, doesn't have a speed rush, doesn't really spin, but uses his hands exceptionally well. You know, he's not an Aaron Donald caliber player, but that's kind of what makes Aaron Donald so special is the way, you know, he, he just sheds a block like that Dorless is really really good at it which is why i want him up the middle uh really as much as possible so that's my prediction on what's going to come down for the defensive line for the spring here if you've got your own thoughts by all means drop in the youtube comments hit me up at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks Uh, i neglected this question i apologized tim when i was talking about the defensive backs uh yesterday on the show the cornerbacks that is tim johnson asks the question If Dante Manning has a great spring ball, do you think they might start him on the other side of Bridges? I did feel he needed to improve with his maturity, and if he does, I think he'll be one of Oregon's greats at that position. So I touched on this a bit yesterday, but the the, the fundamental question here, or the the fundamental answer to your question is yes. He is going to be given every opportunity. Now, he has all all the physical traits, and they are immense. I mean, when he... When he darts after the quarterback on a cornerback blitz or when he races up and makes a tackle or when he's running with straight line speed, it doesn't look like the rest of Oregon's corners. But the fundamentals, the details, coverage, understanding, assignments, all that sort of stuff, that's what hasn't you know, clicked for him yet. But if Dante Manning... I, I think he's one of the more interesting players to watch on Oregon's defense this year because you just we, we've all been waiting for him to pop, right? This is going to be year four. It's crazy. He came in the same class as Noah Sewell, who's going to the NFL the first moment he's eligible, which is after three years. He's been here for 2020, which was short, of course, 2021, 2022. This is going to be year four in Eugene for Dante Manning. If Dan Lanning, Demetrius Martin, Tosh Lupoi, if they unlock that potential, yeah, he could be really, really good. I mean, really, really good. And he'll be given every opportunity to do so. Because if you missed yesterday's show, I was talking about how the defensive backs for the corners the safety's a little bit, but I, I feel like Tysheem Johnson, Evan Williams are probably two of your starters there. The defensive backs, I, I, I just don't see that many guys that are locked into starting positions. 
and I could very well see Dante Manning being one of the two corners who take the field against Portland State on the first defensive snap of the year. Could totally see it. I could see it being him and Bridges. I could see it being him and Kyrie Jackson. I could see it being Bridges and Jackson. I could see Jaleel Florence rising. I could see it going a lot of different ways. I, I'm really intrigued to watch the corners this year. All right, a quick off-topic question before we get to a potential Oregon basketball transfer here. This one comes from my guy, Peyton, who's a big uh, comic book fan like, like I am. All right, Spence, I'm going to shoot you this question. By all means, and this just goes to show you, ask me whatever you want. I'll answer. No politics, but anything else, I'll answer. Do you think the, oh, oh right, yeah, he uh, introduced uh, another word to this question. I had to kind of edit it out, and I'd forgotten that here for a moment. Do you think the bad sequels would have been better if, instead of Ray, you have Ahsoka Tano, Finn is trained by Luke Skywalker, and for fun and gigs, Finn and Ahsoka start the new Jedi Order. So it's funny you say that because Ray, in the new Star Wars movie they announced, is going to make the new Jedi Order. Like she's going to kind of rebuild that, which is interesting, I suppose. Um, but to answer your question here, do you think it would have the sequels would have been better if they'd gone with that storyline? Yes. The reason is because anything would have been better than what they did. The sequels stink. I mean, straight up, I don't like them. They're not good. When the when the Force Awakens, which is a rehash of Episode Four, they're all kind of rehash of the original trilogy. Frankly, you got Walkers on the Snow Planet in The Last Jedi. You've got destroying the Death Star in The Force Awakens, just like in Episode Four. And then you have Palpatine giving the young Jedi a choice to save her friends who are battling in space. Like it's it's all rehash. It's just it was absolutely utterly ridiculous. So I I I think most things could have been better, and I would have been more intrigued by that. Yeah, I I I would. It, anything would have been better. Any anything would have been better. I think Ray was kind of an interesting character, and they ruined her. Just like with Finn, an interesting character who had a great storyline at the start, and then they botched it. They botched it so hard. And making him Force-sensitive, yeah, I think that would have been interesting. I, you know, a, a guy who defects from the Empire as a stormtrooper because he, you know, feels like he's Force-sensitive and also realizes that what they're doing is wrong and bad and evil. Yeah, I would have been on board with that. I might be on board with Devin Cambridge from Arizona State. Let's find out with Richie Bradshaw. And welcoming now to the podcast, Richie Bradshaw of Locked On Sun Devils. We may know him here on Locked On Ducks as the man who took our offensive coordinator, and we can just blame him entirely for that. But see how excited he gets? Yeah, now we should definitely blame him. See, I was going to make that joke and then back off of it, but that reaction alone, Richie Bradshaw, the man who took our offensive coordinator. Anyway, Richie, thanks for taking the time, man. Hi there. L- love to be here. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Second-time caller, technically. I was going to say, but we, anyway, we've so, before. Yeah, we have, uh, well, on this show, we've talked just, I think, the one, maybe, well, maybe two times. But we'll talk again. Oh, that's right. Good call. So yeah, let's get to Devin. Our players. How about yeah. that? <laughs> let's, uh, let's get to Devin Cambridge. So he's coming to Oregon this Sunday for a visit. He is six foot six. plays on the wing. You've watched him play for the last several years at ASU. He's a, He's got one year of eligibility left. What kind of player would, would Oregon be getting here? What have you seen from him so far? Here's what I'll tell you is we we only got to enjoy him last year. He had played his previous three years with Auburn, came to ASU last year to play 
one year with his brother Desmond Cambridge Jr., who was a second team all Pac-12 guy, great shooter and all that good stuff. Devin takes the all-around approach to the way he plays basketball. His brother was the electric shooter who never saw a shot he didn't love. And like for better or for worse, like you love Desmond Cambridge when he was hitting the shots, but a lot of the times he wasn't. Devin, it feels like he's a smarter shooter, which led to him shooting 50.4%. It led to him having a 33.3% from deep, which isn't anything crazy, but I mean, he felt smarter about his shot selection. The thing that I enjoyed about Devin is he brought a completeness to his game. This is a good defender. This is a guy who is constantly around the ball. He's sticky in his coverage or his assignment, whatever he's doing. If it's zoner man, he's he's a guy who just knows how to find his way to whoever's got the basketball and make a play on it. He can do stuff offensively. He was averaging 9.8 points a game last year. That doesn't sound like a lot until you remember that Arizona State was not a very high-scoring team for what it's worth. And he... He really just did a a really good job for Arizona State of playing the assignments that the team gave him. So when I look at Devin Cambridge, I was looking forward to him coming back initially when he said that he would return for his last year of eligibility before deciding to opt out of that and go into the transfer portal. I think this is a starting caliber player. I think this is a very quality player and somebody that you can help build a team around. I don't think he's like some superstar in the waiting but I do think that this is a guy who can make a lot of splash plays for you and you'll be more happy than you are upset when he is on the court. Was he a starter at Arizona state this year or was he a guy who primarily came off the bench or did he do both? He was a full-time starter for the team. He played 36 games, started in 35 of them. I believe he started the most games of any Arizona state Sun Devil. I believe the rest of the guys missed a couple of games here and there. Devin was one of the more consistent guys too. Arizona State liked to get their bench involved quite a bit. They had they had several guys that averaged several minutes. And you look and Devin only averaged 26.8 minutes despite being a starter in all but one game that he played this year. But he was one of the more relied upon guys as well. And I think one of the things that really makes him stand out for me is that veteran presence that he has too because he has played significant time basically since coming into college. He's... He's averaged 21.3 minutes for his career, including the three years he had previous at Auburn. Is a guy who you can leave on the court for long periods of time. He's not somebody that you have to relegate to like a six-man role or anything like that. You can start him and feel confident with him on the court. So one thing that that stands out to me about him, because Oregon had a massive shooting problem this year, worst three-point shooting percentage for an entire season for an Oregon team in like 20 years, and the worst of the Dane Altman era. I mean, it was terrible. It's what they need to address in the portal i look at that 33 percent from distance number and i say not bad but not exactly a a sharpshooter how do you assess that number do you think that there's greater potential because the previous years he's had a couple sub 30 percentage seasons from beyond the arc do you think that's closer to what he is as a player or do you think he could be a guy who shoots you know maybe 35 36 percent if he's in the right system I think what you got out of him last year is probably who he is. This isn't a dynamite deep shooter. He's not a sniper or anything like that. When he's making plays, a lot of it is inside the paint. And a lot of it is the tough uh, and one shots and stuff like that. Like he's, he's a good shooter, but just not from too deep outside. You can see 
for anyone who wants to look up his career stats, he's averaging 3.1 uh, three-point shots a game, but that's inflated by him averaging five during his sophomore year. Like this is a guy who doesn't take a lot of deep shots and he makes the most out of everything else that he's able to do. Uh, he's, he's, he's a good player. He's, he's just not that deep shooter. So if that's what you're looking for, for Oregon, this isn't the guy who's going to fix that problem for you. I, I think it depends because Rivaldo soars went into the portal, who is not a big three point shooter off the bench. And I think it'll depend on what Dana Ullman wants to do with that spot, right? Who was very much, and Cambridge is a good defender, right? Yes, Cambridge is a very good defender. Yeah, so, you know, Rivaldo Soares brings it at the defensive end, athleticism, size, you know, some scoring off the bench, did most of his work inside, could shoot out. Like, he very much re reminds me from what you're saying, Rivaldo Soares, maybe a little bit more prolific from beyond the arc, but I, I just wonder, you know, what they're, what they're going to prioritize in, in that sense. Because I, I could see him basically in the Rivaldo Soares role, but is that a role you want to be the same player if you're the Ducks? Or if you're Dane Allman, would you rather get someone who could maybe shoot a, a little bit better? Finally, with uh, with Richie Bradshaw of Locked On Sun Devils here, appreciate you taking the time, my man. Is this a guy who is just going to be a solid role player? Do you feel like he has a next gear or is around 10 points a game? You think that's about his ceiling offensively? I think offensively, that's probably his ceiling like I said, this isn't a guy who's going to ever light up the box score. And I mean, during his time at Arizona State, uh, he really wasn't this dynamite shooter. I think his career or not career, his season high in points for the team was about 18. I think I'm looking. He did that like twice. Like he can go off, but it's not it's never going to be one of the guys that's going to lead you in scoring consistently. He's probably one of your like lower end scorers on your team, but. He just does everything so well. He's a jack of all trades and a master of none. This is a guy who does a little bit of everything for you. Richie Bradshaw, Locked On Sun Devils. Great insight. Thank you very much, sir. That's what I'm here for. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.